a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. The president, Joe Biden, continues his address from the White House as he unveils new economic executive orders. This is day three, the third batch of executive orders to be signed by President Joe Biden, uh, setting records. Absolutely. In terms of executive orders being signed in the first days of a presidency, uh, he set a record with uh, somewhere between 15 and 17. I don't have the exact number. Different uh, outlets are claiming differently in the White House website. It's not exactly clear. Between 15 and 17, either way, it's a record signed on day one uh, plus 10 yesterday, and we'll see how many are signed today. Uh, You've heard my views on executive orders. You heard Congressman Rob Bishop, uh, my former boss, weighing in on executive orders orders. Uh, And with that, uh, let me just uh, reintroduce uh, President Joe Biden as he again delivers remarks from the White House unveiling new economic executive orders. We'll go now to the White House and President Joe Biden. So we've got to move with everything we've got. We've got to do it together. I don't believe Democrats or Republicans are going hungry and losing jobs. I believe Americans are going hungry and losing their jobs. And we have the tools to fix it. We have the tools to get through this. We have the tools to get this virus under control and our economy back on track. We have the tools to help people. So let's use the tools, all of them. Use them now. So I'm going to sign this executive order, but let me conclude again by saying, folks, this is one of the cases where business, labor, Wall Street, Main Street, liberal, conservative economists know We have to act now, not only to help people who are in need now, but to allow us to be in a competitive position worldwide and be the leader of the world economy in the next year and two and three and going forward. So thank you. I'm going to sign this executive order. There you have it, the conclusion of remarks delivered by President Joe Biden from the White House regarding uh, what appears to be a pair of executive orders uh, dealing with uh, economic issues and the economic challenges the nation is facing here in the midst of the coronavirus. Uh, The camera view I'm watching now is pulled back a little bit, I think. Uh, yeah, there are two there are two binders there on the table. He has opened the first is signing it now with that ceremonial pen. I point out that over his right shoulder uh, stands Vice President Kamala Harris there uh, not delivering remarks herself that uh, I'm not sure if it's a pattern that's developing. But as the president has signed executive orders from this same desk in the White House over the past two days, uh, there standing over his shoulder has been. Vice President Kamala Harris yesterday when executive orders regarding our battle against the COVID-19 virus were signed, so too standing over the president's shoulder was Dr. Anthony Fauci. That Just before we heard uh, the rather lengthy remarks delivered by uh, Dr. Fauci. Anyway, so there you have it. What are the what are the executive orders? One deals with raising the minimum wage to uh, for fifteen dollar to fifteen dollars for the federal 
uh, workforce, uh, as well as expanding food assistance and uh, delivering some stimulus checks to very low-income Americans. Day three, uh, in the third consecutive day of signing executive orders. Uh, I don't want to dwell too much on this. I've made my feelings pretty clear on executive orders, uh, but I would summarize it this way by saying you can't do the right thing the wrong way. And the right thing, yes, is creating a situation that those who have been unfairly impacted by the coronavirus uh, find some relief and find some aid and that the economy finds stimulus. But the wrong way is to do so in this unilateral fashion. The legislature, the Congress, the United States Congress is the one that ought to be uh, debating this issue, that ought to be making these decisions, speaking, holding hearings, and really digging down to the very root of these issues so that the solutions coming together through what I still have faith is uh, in, in an effective process, one that is ripe with debate and back and forth and give and take and compromise, ultimately leading to something that serves a much broader portion of our nation than can possibly be done through a unilateral executive order, which can be uh, you know, either tossed out by the courts, undone by Congress, or uh, you know, in either four or eight years, undone by some future president. You can't do the right thing the wrong way. I'm not arguing with the merits, but I'm arguing with the process. And I sure hope that what we've seen over the past three days doesn't become the norm. Because as I mentioned earlier in this program, the uncertainty that it leads to can be so devastating to communities. Over the next while, we will certainly be paying very close attention to uh, two regions in the state of Utah. One, the Grand Staircase-Escalante National Monument, as well as the uh, Bears Ears National Monument. There are people who live in the adjacent communities to these monuments uh, who uh, derive much of their livelihood from the areas themselves. And when it is executive orders that every four or eight years are changing the way these lands uh, are designated, changing the rules that govern how they are used, how economic development can or can't be uh, exercised on these places, how uh, recreation, and even how in some of the adjacent communities those residents uh, take part in, in religious practices and ceremonial practices. With the back and forth, there is no certainty. And without certainty, there can be no progress. And that's what you get with executive orders. Anyway, I didn't mean to ramble on for so long about that. but uh, and, I, and I haven't even asked your thoughts. What do you think? As you have, over the past few days, seen so many executive orders signed, as you have heard debate play out uh, you know, here on this program and elsewhere as to whether or not this is an appropriate way to go about change or to go about uh, changing the rules. What do you think? Am, am I off base? Am I swinging and missing here? 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. 57500, again, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Very eager to to hear what you think uh, about this. Um Oh, I just got a, an interesting note in my ear. Uh, we have uh, just a few minutes left here in the program, but there is uh, a question 
uh, that was asked of uh, President Joe Biden just a, a moment ago by a reporter. And he was asked, Joe Biden, President Biden was asked by a reporter about the impeachment. We have learned that the uh, impeachment is likely to formally commence on Monday. But when will the actual trial in earnest uh, begin unsure. So with that as background, uh, the president was asked about the impeachment trial in the Senate just now. Here is his response. Mr. President, do you support Mitch McConnell's timeline for a February impeachment trial? I haven't heard the detail of it, but I do think that uh, having some time to get our administration up and running, we did. I want to thank the, uh, the Senate for passing out our Secretary of Defense. It looks like our Secretary of Treasury. It looks like our Secretary of State's in place. So the more time we have to get up and running and meet these crises, the, the better. Setting aside the debate as to whether or not you know, we should even see this trial take place, it does appear that uh, postponing a bit or waiting some time, maybe until February, as has been proposed by Mitch McConnell, Senator McConnell, uh, seems like may be beneficial to uh, both sides of the argument, or at least to both parties. You know, we, we don't really know uh, how the, the parties each will fall on this. I think we can pretty safely bet on how Democrats will respond and react and ultimately vote on uh, the Senate trial of the article of impeachment against President Trump. Not exactly sure how Republicans will land. Not exactly sure at all. Uh, starting at the very top of the party in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, how might he vote at the end of the day? We just don't know. But this this waiting period uh, allowing for, number one, the defense of President Trump to develop and organize itself. I believe uh, last word was that he had uh, secured at least a lead attorney from South Carolina to be helping him, an attorney who has a background in defending uh, a number of elected officials, including Mark Sanford, if you're familiar with that story. Uh, So that will need time uh, to fairly develop and mature and uh, prepare itself for a defense. But so, too, as you heard President Biden there mention, there are a number of nominations that he has handed down that still require uh, Senate confirmation. It is beneficial to his administration to get those nominations confirmed. Uh, So this might be a win-win to get it kicked down the road. Now, that is Uh, Of course, setting aside the argument as to whether or not we should even see this trial take place, if it's a foregone conclusion that it is happening, maybe a, a little time before it kicks off is better for all involved. Quick break. When we return, we're going to shift gears and have a look at the Utah State Legislature, specifically, specifically a proposal that would change the way marriages are conducted here in the state of Utah. Fascinating stuff. Next on Live Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.